Okay, back again with very special episode. Blast from the what? past. Guest, actually, former host, now guest, Zach Borst. Oh, yeah. Back. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. What's up, everybody? I see the future in front of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Here, for, here for, for one show and one show only. This, is, this could last for a long time. <laughs> so in, in, enjoy it while, while the band's back together. Yeah. All right. So, Zach, um, everybody who's listened to Pwned or has been listening to Pwned knows and loves you. Um, but for uh, my favorite, yeah. uh, give yourself some credit, just, just roll with it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, for everybody that's new to the episode, um, and all the followers we've, we've amassed since the time that, uh, you've, you've been pursuing other interesting opportunities. Um, Zach was a uh, former host of Pwned. My partner in crime for co-host. I mean, you definitely still led the ship. I just got to like dabble. Yeah. All right. All right. I I I I think it's more than that, but um, <laughs> but you're you you are the fabric of of our production for for a long time. But now you're back. What yep. what have you been up to? All right. So uh, I left. So. Uh, it's kind of funny. I, I explain this to people when, you know, I'm kind of talking about what I did in the past that I left a job that I loved. And I told you all this at the time. But what happened was I got hired the day that the entire country shut down. I think literally my starting date was March 13th, 2020. And everything shut down. And I had left. I got burned out as an emergency manager at a previous position. I wanted to do something really cool and different. And I found this amazing company in Colchester that was looking for a, uh, a geek, a video and audio geek to help them kind of beef up their podcast. Uh, and so I worked for you all. And then about a year into it, I was like, this is the biggest disaster in recent human history. Not the company in Colchester. Just for our listeners, you're not saying that you're not talking about the company Colchester, yeah, right? COVID. In case uh, <laughs> any of you have lived under a rock for the last, uh, you know, three years, uh, there's a pandemic that surged through the planet, um, and in particular the Northeast. Uh, while I was at New Harbor, and so I sort of felt this calling to go do this, and I got hired by another company to help with uh, Project Warp Speed, which was the trying to get the vaccine out and providing intelligence analysis and some other really cool stuff. And it was, again, it was like I had to use these skills that I had because we were in the middle of a, a disaster, a real disaster. Um, and then I let, and then thankfully it actually happened too because I also got called up from my military side and disappeared for six months to actually work in clinics and get people vaccinated. Um, and like set up hospitals and all this other crazy stuff that we were doing across the country. Um, and then when that sort of settled out, uh, it was like almost two years later. So 22. And I was like, uh, I need to keep doing emergency management stuff. So I found this dude, John Scardina, who owns Doberman Emergency Management. And we we're like, hey, we're both doing really cool stuff. And I want to keep doing cool stuff. And so he hired me up. So that's what I've been doing. And we do all sorts of cool emergency management stuff. We're really a, uh, we kind of joke that we're like a 
design company that does emergency management. Like we're trying to be like very cutting edge, uh, leading innovation in emergency management. And one of those areas that we were really interested in was like cybersecurity and public safety. And uh, so the, to tie this into a knot here or a bow, uh, we, because we had a project with a, with a large school system and we wanted to uh, test out some security of their, their security, I was like, I know just the people. And I reached back out to my old stomping grounds and I was like, get the team together. We're going to go do some cool cyber stuff. And uh, so you all uh, put together your team and started doing some uh, pen testing on a, on a large college campus to see if their uh, security and camera system uh, hold up. And then it got me thinking like, wow, we should probably talk about this because this was a, this was a campus that you know, has, has a very good uh, security footprint and planning and, and design. And I know that's not the case around the country. And so how do we as emergency managers and public safety folks do better? And so that's sort of, that's like the, the onus of all of this is like, I want to do better. And I know the people who can help us do better. That's you all. So, well, thank you for bringing the team back together, Zach. Um, it was so cool to be on the calls and like get to chat to people and faces I hadn't seen in so long. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't talked to them recently, they have some more news for you. Oh, right. Oh, good. Yeah, no. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yep, I'm in on that one as well, yes. It's, it's interesting. We had um, we had talked about uh, it's this similar top topic. Um, I think it was episode 140 in season two. Um, and it was, uh, generally speaking, about the idea of saying, um, in the course of public notifications and emergency management infrastructure, um, kind of heading into the world that we knew as COVID, um, in order to reach the most amount of people, you kind of have to meet them where they are and they are in the digital ethers, right? And yeah. so the the sh very short version of like what we talked about was um, emergency management, um, like historical techniques of mass communications, radios, notification systems originated out of an analog space. Oh yeah. Right? But in order to meet people where they are, like, Required some evolution of of that technology backbone and that infrastructure backbone. So we have core notification infrastructure and uh, community coordination um, techniques that um, are evolving. Right? Yeah. They're they're going from old old mechanisms, old say dated dated mechanisms, um, and just trying to integrate with the services that that we have today, which is um comes comes with its own challenges but also some benefits as well and i was curious like in your travels here between past company and national guard and where you're at now have you is that uh is, is that still the case is that what you're seeing today yeah so i would say there's a lot less innovation than i think we'd like to think uh so what is often happening is we're taking digital sort of interfaces and piggybacking them onto analog systems. So versus, you know, 
basically designing a system from start to finish where you kind of know where all of your touch points are. Uh, it's like taking these old legacy systems and then trying to jam them into the internet. <laughs> and so when that happens, you have varying degrees of success for sure. So one main thing, like our iPod system, this is the integrated public uh, alert and warning system. This is this is what drives all of your, your messages that scroll along the bottom of your TV. It's how you get your text message alerts. Those are called WIAs. That's the wireless emergency alerting system. The, the scrolling message is um, called uh, EAS, emergency alert system. Um, you know, these are systems that have sort of function, you know, WIAs newer, but like it's still limited to 360 characters and in some cases 90 characters, depending on like what level of text message you have. The EAS systems, I mean, I honestly don't think in my house right now I could receive an EAS message other than a weather radio that I've got somewhere. I, you know, that I usually take out during severe weather season, but like it's not where most people are able to. So we're trying to like, like you're saying, connect these dots and it's really, really hard. Uh, on the other side, you've got like on the public responder and the emergency manager side, we also have to, we're trying to make our systems more robust and more connected and interoperable. And again, we're taking old radio systems, for instance, and essentially plugging them, you know, forcing them onto the internet using, uh, in some cases, like kind of, you know, archaic connections. And then in other ways, like you can build really nice, robust, highly advanced systems. But like in a lot of cases, you just don't have the budget for that in one's foul swoop. So they kind of like mix it to begin with, with the hope that someday down the line, they'll be able to like move everything over. Um, and so I just see this as like this giant hodgepodge of like new technology, old technology. And anytime you're trying to like make these things work, you're just opening yourself up to these like huge vulnerabilities because, you know, the old technology in some ways was more secure, like uh, POTS telephone, the plain old, you know, telephone uh, lines. Um, it's hard to sort of hack copper, right? <laughs> like you can, you can cut it and like kind of break it, but like, it's not like the same as like a VoIP system where, you know, you can spoof numbers, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, all those like swatting calls and stuff now, those are all sort of being driven by VoIP and, you know, running over, you know, however they're coming from the overseas, uh, you know, starting points to the US. Uh, I don't know how that works, but like, it's a system that is not really working very well. And it has huge impacts on our public safety. Um, because, you know, we don't always track the, um, the unintended consequences of these systems as we're as we're adopting them, um, and we jam stuff in right. Like we we find a uh, uh, especially emergency response. Like you have these knee jerk reactions after a disaster. You're like, we have to fix this. So you get a bunch of money, and you quickly cobble something together because everyone is upset and they feel vulnerable and they're scared. And we want to do the best thing that we can. And so you jam some system together because you're like, this is what's gonna you know we're, we've solved it. And then, you know, a couple of years go down the line, we become complacent again, contracts expire, there's no money to maintain it, there's no technical expertise to sort of maintain it in house. And it just sits there and festers until something bad happens. So yeah. And then and then then you realize Justin has stolen all the copper copper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, that's is uh, my understanding is that's uh, how New Harbor is funded now. Is you guys have just been like, this is not lucrative. Cybersecurity is not lucrative. We're just going to steal copper. We're just going to raid. Change the logo to CU Harbor, right? Because that's the copper. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting about it as well. I mean, you guys are talking a lot about the intersection of some of the necessary technologies, right, in emergency management and how you have the information that's necessary. But just to give you sort of the pragmatic perspective from like today, going back a few years. Uh, don't forget there's been like dozens and dozens of attacks against 9-11 infrastructure that have succeeded, right? I was able to pick up 42 of them between 18, 2018 and 2020, right? And some they have all sorts of different sources, which is interesting, right? Sometimes yeah. it's ransomware, wham, 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 something shut down. Sometimes it's distributed denial of service, you know, there's flooding the system so you can't make any calls. Pretty terrible. And I remember in the dark ages back in uh, 2001, as we were all worried about how to prevent, you know, the next you know, round of those style of attacks. One of the big worries coming out of New York City was had the team that decided to fly the planes in actually taken the time to execute what would have been a relatively straightforward denial of service against 911, that disaster would have been completely out of control. Because yeah. we don't realize how important 911 is, 911 services are to people when something bad is happening. Sometimes just the capability to pick up a phone and talk to somebody avoids panic. Right. And we've seen across the country, you know, notably, um, I think it was in February, uh, there was a denial of service attack. There's been one against uh, Suffolk County, against uh, Erie County. Right. And the, you've got people working 911 because they can actually pick up the phone, but they're using pencils and papers because there's no way to get to dispatch. Right. And so when I think about the good work and the hard work and brave work that's done by emergency management folks everywhere and first responders, you know, one of the biggest risks we have is we're not even going to get to them. We're not even going to know what information to look for. Well, and just the like you're you're hitting on some things that are really important. Um, so the nine one one systems around this country again are in various states. Like those tending those systems get purchased like in giant rounds of money, right? Like so a lot of the consoles like in the state of Vermont, like they made a transition from like essentially an analog system to a digital system to a more modern system. They only do that like a couple times over the course of like a decade, right? Like because it's a lot of money and it's really complex. Um, and so, yeah, those systems get swapped and then, uh, everything sort of changes, but for, there's this period of time where like you're running on old stuff and, um, when it breaks down, uh, there's no backups, you know, like we're work. That's one of the new things is like, there's definitely a lot more redundancy than there used to be. And that's one of the advantages of sort of moving towards the digital, uh, you know, version of what we're doing in response. But there's a lot of places where like, if a 911 center is basically shut off, uh, there isn't another 911 center. You you have to hope that you can somehow route it, um, and there is rollover. But like it can't if you get a if you get an attack and a you know ransomware shuts down one, and then there's a DDoS attack on the other, you can collapse the entire system very quickly, um, and it's scary. Like you said, the Suffolk County one. I actually know someone who, you know. It, it, there's the scary side of it, which is like 911 doesn't work. But then there's like just simple government operations, you know, like he couldn't get his marriage license. And so he was stuck waiting, trying to figure it out and had to do everything manually. And then you got to wonder like, okay, you're doing it on pen and paper. How, you know, especially for Suffolk County, the size of that county and how many people live there, how much of that stuff is actually going to make it back into the records when everything's said and done. Um, and we had a huge attack up right in uh, New Harbor's headquarters backyard, the um, University of Vermont Medical System, uh, their main hospital was shut down for months. Uh, you know, they, they were doing everything by hand. And when it happened, they literally overnight had to go 
we have to relearn how to chart people and keep track of medications. You're doing math in your head now, like that maybe you haven't done in a long time. Uh, and so that's a huge risk to people. And it doesn't take a, uh, you know, one of the, um, Oh man, I was going to use all the cool terms and I forgot a lot of my, what's the persistent threat, uh, people like, what do you, what do you call them? APTs. Like, the, yes, an APT. Dang, I was so close. Uh, so it doesn't have to be an APT group, right? It can be, uh, it can be just some, uh, you know, I mean, a perfect example, the, the recent leak of all the classified documents, this was not done by some huge organization. It was an IT guy that worked, you know, in the intelligence wing in Massachusetts, um, and he had access to these systems and it's the human factor that just acts, you know, I mean, he's, he's Did, and he was publishing on discord, right? I mean, meh. right. He was trying to impress his like, you know, loser buddies. Cause it's like a white supremacist discord, but like, he was just trying to impress his dumb friends and he released all this stuff. That's just an idiot, right? Like imagine what a smart person with real nefarious intentions can do to our critical infrastructure. Yeah. Well, awesome. Guys, this has been great. Um, folks listening to this, if you enjoyed this episode, please like and share and help us spread the good word of Pwned and EM Weekly. Uh, if you have questions, uh, you can find us at pwned.newharborsecurity.com and we will get you on the next episode.